it sure seems like a lot of people these days are living just to get noticed. Uh, as if all the likes and views and attention of others can cure the loneliness or, or deal with the poor self-esteem. But in the blur of TikToks and Reels and Insta stories, we as followers of Jesus have a higher calling, not to say those things are all bad, um, but we have a higher calling than just living to be noticed by others. Jesus has called us to love others. And that's a higher calling. To love the way he loves us. To love in such a way that other people take notice. In the New Testament, God's love is translated in the Greek as agape. And it's one of four different Greek words for love, all different distinctions. Uh, but agape is the distinct word for God's love because it's sacrificial and it's unconditional and it's not demanding reciprocation. It's also not a feeling or an emotion. It is a choice and it is an act of the will. And therefore, Agape is the best Greek word to describe God's love towards us. He calls us to also live in that with one another. But in the Old Testament, God's love is best described in the Hebrew word hesed. And uh, it's actually, the way you pronounce it, it sounds like I'm clearing my throat, so I'm not going to do that because I already have bad allergies right now, so that wouldn't be fun. I'm just going to say hesed, I'm going to English-size it, and it combines the incredible idea of unconditional love, generosity, and enduring commitment all rolled into one. Entire books have been written on hesed, uh, and they have all, with um, a limited measure, been attempting to unravel this great deep concept. But what most realize, the more you plumb the depths of Hesed, is that there's always more to experience. Like God himself, you never get to the end. There's always more. His Hesed is something we can't fully comprehend that he would die in our place as a substitute, that he would pay our debt, that he would fully pardon our sin, bringing us into his family and giving us eternal life, it all comes out of the hesed of God. Greater love, Jesus said, has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now, as English speakers, we have an even bigger hurdle to leap because the best we can do to translate hesed into English is to cobble together a whole lot of words to hopefully layer in its transcendent meaning. We pick as many words as we can to give a more full understanding, words like love and kindness, 
generosity, goodness, mercy, faithfulness, devotion, favor, godliness. The list goes on and on and on. But you can imagine that stringing a whole mess of words together every time hesed is communicated would make for a really clunky translation. That would be hard to read in and of itself. And so translators have taken it upon themselves to blend words together to get a closer meaning of what real hesed is. They hybrid words, make hybrid words and use love as the, as the base. So they, they use words like loyal love and covenant love and unfailing love and steadfast love and faithful love. And, and maybe the favorite is two words pushed together, loving kindness, which is not really a word until translators put them together. It's loving kindness. All of it was designed to get a little closer to the original Hebrew intent. We see it done in Exodus 34 when God's presence passes by Moses on Mount Sinai. And it says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Hesed. And faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, hesed, for thousands, giving, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And when God says through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 54, 10, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my hesed, my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Hesed is woven all through the Bible close to 250 times in the Old Testament. Most oftentimes to describe an act of hesed to say this is what God is like. Like when Ruth devotes herself to her mother-in-law, Naomi, with no merit, no benefit to her. In fact, it's exposing her to vulnerabilities that as a single widow woman, young woman, she may not have what she needs. And yet she says, my God will be your God. Your God will be my God, excuse me. And your people, my people. And she communicates in her act of loyal love, God's hesed in that moment. It's also found in the book of Micah when it shows us how we ourselves are to live and act. When he says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, hesed, and to hesed, and to walk humbly with our God. Hesed is the idea of love in action. It expresses persistent unconditional kindness and tenderness towards us. And it is his mercy bestowed upon us. It is his covenant relationship with us. Though we are not covenant keepers, he is. It is his pursuit of us in all of these areas with love and compassion. And it's how we, as his covenant people, are to live and respond to him 
and to one another. Now, it might alarm you to realize that that's the introduction of what I'm speaking today. (laughs) Some of you are excited, most of you are not. No, you're all excited, but I do think it's important to see what we are going to talk about in Hebrews 13 through the lens of Hesed, through the lens of God's covenant, loyal, unfailing love for us. And so let's look at Hebrews 13 now so that we can more fully look at this love that can be noticed. Hebrews 13, verse one. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who were in prison and though, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. And let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This appears to be a list of ethical commands or moral behaviors. Um, And you'll find these types of lists throughout the New Testament and the Old. Paul certainly has some lists that we could look at. Jesus himself spoke what seems to be lists of ethical behaviors. But something we have to remember is that such commands are not given to us so that we might earn something from God, like our salvation, but rather they're given so that we can walk out something because we have been saved. They're the fruit of his gift of salvation, not the basis to be saved. Good morals won't earn brownie points with God. Being a good person doesn't get you into heaven. I've heard people say, ah, at the end of their life even, I'm a good person. Surely he'll look at me and say, yeah, you're okay. You're just a little bit better than the bad you were. So, you know, we'll weigh it out. Good's a little bit better, so that's great. But that's not how you get to heaven. And it's not how you get salvation. Salvation is a free gift from God. It's not by works, lest anyone could boast. It's a gift that he bestows upon you by his grace and we receive it through faith. And so when you read lists like that, be careful not to start seeing them as something you do to earn something from him. You won't get to heaven that way, but the more you walk in this life, they will be increasingly evident in your life. And these ethics here in Hebrews 13 continue in brotherly love, show hospitality, remember those in prison, honor marriage, and trust God for our needs. They are a list of things that could be considered ethics or behaviors, but they are also able to demonstrate 
the kind of love that other people might notice. They are ways to make the believers and followers of Jesus distinct. They are marking us as different than what is common out there. It could be noticed. And though we won't get to all five today because I took such a long time in my introduction, (laughs) we're gonna look at the first two and then in a couple weeks, we'll conclude the other three. The first thing the writer says after challenging us to run with endurance, remember all that back in Hebrews 12? He says, run the race set before you with endurance and, and, uh, and, and set aside, lay aside every sin and, and weight that so easily entangles you and fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of your faith and, and make sure that you, that, you, uh, that you strengthen weak knees and you lift up drooping hands. And not just your own, but those of everyone who's running the race. And understand that hardship that you receive is actually God's discipline in your life because he's now treating you like kids, his children, not outsiders. You're now in his family and you're standing atop Mount Zion, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what Hebrew tells, Hebrew 12 tells us. Hebrews 12 tells us. But now, there's no markings of chapters in the Bible. You know this, right? This is just one message, continual. We have verses and chapters to help us get there. But it's just a continual thought right out of that, you will not be shaken because you're receiving a kingdom that's not be shaken. And so therefore, let brotherly love continue. That's his next thought that he gets to. Let's continue in loving one another. The Greek word for brotherly love is Philadelphia. That's right, the same city in Pennsylvania. That's why they call it the city of brotherly love. But I'm not sure they live up to that name. Uh, Then again, what city really could? Or for that matter, what city lives up to their moniker? I mean, Atlanta in the 1960s was called the city too busy to hate. Interesting. If you look on the city's website today, it says we are the city not too busy to care. Wow. (laughs) They care. I don't feel it. Do you? And there's still a lot of hate in this city. We're either too busy or not too busy. I don't know which one. Nonetheless, who can live up to these monikers? I digress. The Hebrew writer tells us to continue in brotherly love towards one another. And that makes sense because they were facing intense persecution and pressure that would either bind them together as a group or tear them apart. Pressure does that, you know. Persecution can do that to a people. And he's encouraging them. They have suffered some and he's predicting, and it is true, they will suffer more. He's encouraging them to stay committed in love to one another, to not turn on one another, to not devour one another, but rather to love one another. If there's ever a message that the American church needs to hear, it's this one. There is so much devouring and judging and picking going on in the body of Christ today 
that most people see that and the vitriol and the hatred and the things that they see as political stances rather than the love of God that Jesus has called us to. This is the kind of love that gets noticed when we love this way. When we love one another, people start paying attention. And we see it commanded throughout the New Testament, like when Peter said, love one another earnestly with a pure heart. And when John wrote, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And when Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, saying, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You can never get enough brotherly love. Of course, all of these commands given to us by these apostles actually are rooted in the words Jesus spoke to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, just hours, days, weeks, and months before they themselves would face their own persecution. And he says to them this in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you all have the same theology. If you all do worship the same way. If you all have the same doctrine. If you all have the same evangelistic thrust or theory or program or growth pattern. No. If you have love one for another. This is so common. We've heard this so many times. We just let it breeze right past us. But my question to us is, how are we doing? How are we doing when it comes to loving each other? The Hebrew writers, the Hebrew writer, Hebrews writer, <laughs> whew. That guy that wrote the book, he is saying, let brotherly love continue because Jesus said, that's how they're gonna know you're my disciples. He is encouraging them to, to have brotherly love in the midst of persecution because Jesus said, that's how you will impact this world by your love for one another. <coughs> now we need that command and that admonition every bit as much as they did. Here's the second love that gets noticed. He commands us to show hospitality to strangers. And he goes so far as to say that some have done this and unknowingly actually entertained angels. <clears throat> and at this point, we are all doing a mental inventory of all the guests who've sat at our kitchen table. I know some that have been there that were kind of angelic a lot of them that were not, including me. I don't know that any of us have entertained angels unaware. Maybe. I believe it happens still today. I've heard stories like that. I know of one who did. His name was Abraham. He entertained angels. 
We read about it in Genesis 18, three strangers appear to him and he instantly knows these guys are special. And so they're there to tell him that his wife, Sarah, who is many years older than childbearing years, is about to have a baby. And it's a funny story because she overhears and she starts laughing and they're like, why is she laughing? And it's uncomfortable, a little awkward. But they're there and, and Abraham is inviting them in. He's like, please, please come in and let me show you hospitality. There is so much of importance in hospitality that you see in their culture and in the Bible and something that we ourselves should be giving ourselves to. And so these three, two of them are angels and one appears to be the Lord himself. Now imagine that as dinner guests at your house. And so Abraham is busy working it out, getting the meal done, asking Sarah to do it. They're talking about she's going to get pregnant. Sarah's laughing. You know, they're all having a meal. And then finally they say, we're on our way to Sodom because we're going to judge. Sodom is going to be judged and destroyed. And Abraham knows that he has relatives there. Lot is there. And so he begins an amazing conversation. Uh, He begins to negotiate with the Lord about just how few righteous people would need to be there for him to hold off destroying the city. And the encounter is just remarkable. He's like, but Lord, what if there are 50 that are righteous? And the Lord says, oh, well, if there are 50, I won't won't destroy it. And uh, Abraham's like, you know, I hate to bring this up again, but what if there were 45? He just lowers it by five this time. And the Lord's like, okay, fine, 45, I won't do it. Well, what about 40? (laughs) Somehow the Lord must like Abraham's heart. The people would be saved. That's God's heart. That's his hesed. And Abraham then goes to 30. He gets bolder, not down by fives anymore. We're going 10 here. From 40 now to 30, Lord, what if there are 30 that are righteous? Surely you wouldn't destroy them that way, would you? Okay. 20? Sure. 10? You got it. And then I think before he could even get down to five, the Lord said, it's time to go. It's an amazing encounter. I don't know if any of us will have that kind of conversation or that kind of entertaining of angels at our table. Maybe, but if not angels, we definitely have the opportunity to entertain strangers and neighbors and those that God is calling to himself. Rosaria Butterfield was a tenured professor at Syracuse University She was a leading thinker in the women's studies at the university, almost on her path to be tenured. She was an LGBTQ activist and committed to her lesbian partner. In the late 1990s, as Rosaria was researching for a book on the religious right because she knew they hated people like her, she met a pastor named Ken Smith. She had done an op-ed in the local newspaper And he wrote her a very sincere letter, not hateful, not judgment, but rather inquisitive. 
How did you come to these postures and this position? Would you like to talk about this? And she had been taking all the mail coming in and putting it either in a stack of hate mail or a stack of supportive mail. But Ken's, she didn't know where to put. So she dumped it in the garbage can. And hours later, she couldn't let it go. She went and dug it out and sat there. And finally, she responded to him. Ken and his wife, Floyd, they invited her for dinner. And she saw this couple, this naive, fundamental Christian couple. As research assistants, she wouldn't have to pay for her new book. And so she accepted the invitation to their home, which in turn led to many, many more invitations. She was often there with people of all walks of life, where they'd share a meal, they'd engage in conversation and arguments, but they'd also have a lot of laughter and sing some psalms and even open the Bible and read it together. Rosaria says that it was in the midst of the 500 meals they had with her that the word of God began to grow in her heart. And though, and though the Smiths had never invited her to church, they, they decided they wouldn't do that. They'd never invited her. One morning she got up from the bed she shared with her partner and went to church. And that led to more Sundays where she went to church. And eventually she surrendered her life to Jesus And it cost her virtually everything she had worked for, but it gained her the abundant, hesed, love and life of Jesus. She's now married to a pastor in North Carolina. They have four adopted children, a dog, and a home that they call an incubator and a hospital for grace, where they do the same practices that Ken and Floy did for her. One of her books is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and it is excellent. In this day and age when there is so much cynicism and anti-Christianity, hospitality is still widely received. And it's excellent for those of us who decide to do relationship evangelism versus pounding people with the Bible and telling them they're going to go to hell. The kind of hospitality that Ken and Floey showed Rosaria, well, that's the kind of love that gets noticed. It's the kind of love God has called us to show to those around us, to those we live next door to, to those we work with and go to school with, to those that are in our neighborhoods, in workplaces, at the supermarket, all around, that we would show love that gets noticed. We are God's people because of his hesed, his steadfast, unconditional, loyal love and generosity and enduring commitment all wrapped up into one. And we are called to love the way we've been loved. To love in such a way that others take notice. To continue in love towards the family of God those that are brothers and sisters in Christ, and also those that are not. Strangers, people that are outside, 
people that come across our path but would probably like a nice warm meal and a good conversation. We're called to love like that. For them to come into our homes and eat at our tables, to become our friends. And in the process, the Holy Spirit is probably at work on them, just like he was on Rosaria. It's not our job to save people. It's not our job to bring conviction to people. It's our job to love people. And through that love that gets noticed, his love starts changing things. Let's be people who love like that. People who love and others take notice. Amen. My wife is going to come and we're going to pray for us as a community and ask the Lord to continue to work in our hearts to be that kind of people. I've heard that story about the negotiation with God for the righteous people in the city several times. Um, But something in it hit me today. I think because I've been reading Gentle and Lowly, recommended to me by Emily. In that book, he says that the more corrupt your heart is, the less you are affected by the evils around. And that the purer your heart, the more you are drawn out to help and relieve and protect and comfort. A corrupt heart is indifferent. And I think in our world today, we have people who might see a Sodom and Gomorrah and pray for God to go get them. I don't know that we consistently know how to let the love of God purify our heart of love so that we respond to those situations the way he would. Um, So when I pray for us today, I'm praying that we will do what Larry Christensen says in his book, The Renewed Mind. He says, we we lay out the forms, the, the wood and forms of righteousness by our acts. But we do it in faith, believing that the Holy Spirit is going to come and fill that with concrete and solidify it and make it real, <laughs> make it powerful, make it strong enough, um, make it lasting. And so, yes, there is a list of holy behaviors that you reviewed with us today, but if they don't come motivated by the love of God in us, they're false witnesses to him. That's right. They don't actually help people see him for who he is and know that they not only want him, but they need him. Right. So I'm praying for some reality check. Thank you. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this journey that you have us on yes, to Lord. grow up into you to find maturity and reality and authenticity in who you are inside of us that is exploding out um, and impacting us and our neighbors and our friends and people we're praying for and people we haven't even met yet. God, you're 
you're busy, you're at work, and you're stirring us up so we can join you in it. And it starts with allowing you to purify our hearts. Yes, it does. That you would touch us with that coal on our lips, like the promise that you made. Yes. That you would so transform us in the inward place that what comes out when we are poked and pricked and pushed around by the world really is the love of God that stands out. Yes. We want to be known not by how well we're doing what you say, but how well we let you do it in us and through us yes. and to us, Lord. That's right. Thank you for being the greatest reality. And thank you for making your reality a truth in us. Yes. Lord, to see a command that we're to continue in brotherly love, even that we're to in, invite strangers into our homes. If we're not careful, we'll see those things as simple acts of obedience. But the truth is, those things are outworkings of the love of God shed in our lives. We can't do those things if we don't have a, a more complete picture of your love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes to more fully see your hesed, the steadfast covenant, unfailing, loyal, loving kindness of God. The unconditional and undying love that you have towards us. And I pray, Lord, that when we see that more fully, when we let it impact us, it would grow us, give us greater capacity, greater ability, Lord, to walk in love towards others. I pray, Lord, that you'll do that in our community with our spiritual family. But I pray, Lord, that we'll invite others in yes, to what you're doing, the love feast that you have for them, the place where they can have their shame and anxiety and infirmity washed away, where all the systems and world thoughts and beliefs that they had once before can be reoriented around your purpose and design for them where there is abundant life and there is purpose and there is significance. And I pray, Lord, that we will see the move of the Spirit in our neighbors, in our coworkers, in our classmates, in our neighborhoods, all around this place, Lord. I pray for it with our young people, our children, Lord. For the older people, Lord. Have your way, I pray. Let's stand together.